The content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose any medical condition, replace the advice of a healthcare professional, or provide any medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Copyright 2020, Fireteam Whiskey, LLC, all rights reserved. Welcome to the Warrior Wellness Podcast, a podcast for military members, veterans, and first responders focusing on fitness, health, nutrition, and biohacking. Our mission with this podcast is to introduce America's heroes to lifestyle habits and hacks that will help them live healthier, happier lives, and in turn, be fit enough to continue their support of their communities and country. Welcome to the Warrior Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Captain Stephanie Lincoln. I'm excited to bring you this interview with Dr. Bill Schindler, who is the founder and director of the Eastern Shore Food Lab and associate professor of anthropology and archaeology at Washington College. And he is a TV star. He's the co-star of both the National Geographic series, The Great Human Race. And he is on Curiosity Stream, The Modern Stone Age Family. He's a food archaeologist, a primitive technologist, and a chef. You are going to find out exactly what that all means here in the interview. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Warrior Wellness Podcast. So thank you, um, Bill, for joining us on the Warrior Wellness Podcast. And I'm just going to start this interview by quoting you because I do that all the time. <laughs> so, um, and this, this quote from you, I mean, you have so many great sound mites, but this one just like, just mic drop. And I want you to just expound upon that because this, this would be a good way to kick off the podcast. So you said, um, what, what was used, what used to nourish us and build us as a species is now destroying the planet, making us sick and killing us. And that thing is food. So I'll let you, you take the reins on that. Sure. So, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, that is one of the guys, I'm glad you pulled that one out. That's a, it's a powerful one. It's one that guides a lot of what I do and the way I look at food and, and our relationship with food today as humans and, and in the past as well. So our, you know, the way that I like to look at our dietary past, which in my mind, to get a comprehensive look at our dietary past, we have to look at an entirety of three and a half million years from when our ancestors began to make tools that then allowed our, us to overcome all of our physical limitations about getting food and also uh, our, our really inefficient digestive tracts that compared to other animals, we have an incredibly difficult time making the food that we eat safe and transforming it into something that our bodies can derive maximum nourishment from. Other animals have all sorts of things like rumens and specialized teeth and, and gizzards and crops and all, all sorts of other things that allow them to eat the, the diets that they're meant to eat. Humans are something different. And what we've done is we have created a relationship with food that is unlike any other animal on the planet. We have uh, created technologies and approaches to food to expand our dietary breath. In other words, we've, we've been able to uh, access resources that our bodies have no business accessing and then creating technologies to take these foods and transform them into the safest, most nutrient-dense, nourishing food for our bodies. And what we've done by doing this over millions of years is create a diet that, again, our bodies have no business eating, but that actually at the same time built us as homo sapiens, built us as what we are today. We require, we, we, you know, we began to outgrow our digestive tract three and a half million years ago, but we built bodies that are so large and have brains that are so big and have such incredible nutrient requirements that uh, we require the foods that 
we have no business biologically eating. And what that really creates is a really weird conundrum, right? So, you know, what are we supposed to do with that information? How do we take that and understand what our relationship with food is supposed to be? And to get back to that earlier, that earlier quote, for almost the entirety of three and a half million years, all of our approaches to food, our relationship with food, the technologies we created around food have been focused in my mind on those three things, creating food that's safe, nutrient dense, and bioavailable for our bodies and doing it at the maximum extent possible. And that built us physically, you know, biologically, and culturally as to what we are today. That relationship with food was on such an intense level you know, direct acquisition of our food, direct hunting and gathering and processing and, and feeding and sharing that food with one another, that we saw the direct consequences of our actions, right? So if we over-harvested or over-hunted, we could make uh, adjustments the following year. So that means that that diet, that diet, that relationship with our, was not only the most nourishing diet for us as a species, but it was also the healthiest diet or relationship with with, for the planet around us. But what we've done over the past, well, beginning about 15,000 years ago, but definitely over the past several hundred years and even more so in the past several decades, is we've inserted links in the food chain. In other words, separated ourselves further and further and further from where our food comes from, how our food is processed, all of those things to the point where most of us not only don't know where the food comes from or don't know the people that part, you know, grew it or process it, but don't even know how food is made. And now the way that we eat our food, you know, the modern food system, I like to say, is, is a complete failure. We have not only produced obesity in, in, in human populations, but we create food now that's so nutrient free, with the exact opposite of three and a half million years, so nutrient free that we can create obesity and malnutrition in the same individual. In other words, yes. you can eat so much that you're obese, but you're still malnourished. And it's a result of that disconnection and, and, and relying on other people to tell us how we should be eating. Yeah, I love that that you just because I was another quote I was gonna <laughs> throw out there from from you was you know that you constantly are harping on the fact that our contemporary food system has achieved the impossible. Really, it, at at any time in history, this has never happened up until the recent decades. Is that we have obesity and malnutrition in the same individual, and we've come so far from our our food process when we sit down to a meal. Um, we could be having one thing from, you know, that was processed in China. And then the other thing was maybe from Chile. And then, you know, <laughs> we have so many different things on our plate that are from all these different places. And we have no idea, you know, how it was processed, um, you know, where it has come from, what pesticides were used, you know, all the processing that that's especially in boxed foods, um, packaged foods. And I, I want to kind of dive into the packaged foods thing just for a, a couple of minutes. And I, when I was doing research on you, um, I, I found a couple of things where you, you had mentioned that you were overweight as a kid. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I, I'm so like, yeah, I'm sorry that happened. And I, I was overweight as well. I'm not, but I, I'd also want to say, I'm so glad that you had that experience because the one thing in the, the helping world that we run into um, as helpers to help people, you know, get healthy and lose weight um, is that, you know, people look at me now and go, well, you know, you're a fitness trainer, you're a health coach, you know, you know, you don't know what I'm going through. And I have to kind of go back and say, you know what, 
I actually do. Um, I was overweight and I had, I was on nine different medications at one point in my twenties. And just, it, it was, there was never any explanation. It was just, well, let's try this treatment. Well, let's try this pill. Nobody, not once, and I'm getting chills just thinking about it. This is why we're so passionate about what we do is not once did any of those providers who wrote those prescriptions for me mention any kind of dietary change, hmm. not once. And it's, it's so crazy to think that we've come so far away from that, you know, being connected with our food that we don't realize that food is also medicine. Yes, it is. When done right. Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we need to, to eat real whole foods um, because it, there's a medicinal part. There's a reason why our species has, has um, survived this long because we've got, we use food as medicine as well and in the way that it was used by our ancestors. So um, you talk about a modern stone age diet approach. So I want you to kind of expound upon that. What does that mean? You know, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think it's a great way to think about, well, I think it's a great way to think about food in general, but especially for your audience that may be listening to this that are in many ways with, with their profession a lot of times trapped uh, with making, having to operate or navigate within cafeterias or mess halls or other food, you know, service places where the choice isn't always there that they, people might be looking for. So if we go back, so the modern Stone Age approach, real quick, one of the things that I'd like to start with is by saying, I don't think the ideal human diet has been created yet. So, and there's several reasons for that. One is, um, you know, biologically, it, it maybe it has. You know, biologically, we are the same species as we were 300,000 years ago. We're the same size. Our brain is essentially the same size. Our guts, even though the microflora has changed, but our guts are essentially the same. So uh, nutritional requirements are the same. The way we process food internally is the same. So you could make the argument that uh, the diet that built us as a species 300,000 years ago uh, makes sense biologically for us today. And I believe that. The, the problem is, and one of the things we have to account for is that even though biologically we're the same, culturally we're very, very different. We're different now than we were last week. We're different now than we were five years ago, and definitely 5,000 years ago. So we have different expectations of, of taste and, and texture and presentation, different access to resources. So we're operating within a different cultural uh, space that really impacts how we eat food and how we think about food, right? Uh, so it, the reason I say the ideal human diet hasn't been created yet, or even if it has, it can be recreated, is because that cultural target is changing all the time. So we have to figure out a food, in order to, to make the most sense of all the information we have and to move forward in the healthiest way possible, biologically and emotionally, culturally, is to be able to navigate in whatever space that we find ourselves. And it's different potentially for, for many of us. So in the past, I'm convinced whether it was conscious or, or, or un subconsciously or both, our hunter-gatherer ancestors, no matter what environment they found themselves in, figured out the best approach and technology to transform whatever resources they had into the safest, most nutrient-dense bioavailable food for their bodies. And that's how we left Africa, uh, two million years ago and populated all different latitudes and longitudes. Now, 
today we're not talking about a hunter gatherer on top of a mountain in you know ice age Europe or on the African savanna you know a couple million years earlier. We're talking about trying to navigate modern foodscapes, grocery stores, dining halls, restaurants, our own kitchen, and and trying to figure out how to do that in not only the best possible way for us biologically, but also emotionally and culturally. We want we we. we we have so much guilt surrounding food anymore that we have to, you know, we have to navigate that. So when I say a modern stone age diet, it doesn't necessarily mean we're all outside hunting with bows and arrows and foraging for all our food. Although there is something to that. What I mean is that we approach our modern foodscapes, whatever they are in the same way that our hunter gatherer ancestors did. In other words, when you walk into uh, whatever that place is, your cafeteria restaurant, first of all, you realize that that's where you have to eat. So, you know, all the guilt's gone. You just need to make a choice depending on what's in front of you. And if you know how food is made and you know how, you know, if you're in tune with your body, you can navigate that potential foodscape with this in mind. What are my choices given what's in front of me to take this food and put it into my body in the safest, most nutrient dense, nourishing way possible? And, and I know that may not sound like a big deal, but it is, you know, and, and in other words, what you have to do to navigate that foodscape is, again, be in touch with your own body, and your own senses. But one of the best things that we can do is start cooking at home again. And, you know, my, for many of us, I, I'm very lucky because I have a very flexible work schedule at the college and, and I cook everything that we have at home. You know, we do our own butchering. We do all our own cheese making. We do all of it here. But, and I know not everybody has that opportunity, but you can find time to make those things at least once. And even just basic bread making, basic cheese making, basic butter making, learning how to butcher a chicken on your counter, those things are so incredibly powerful because even if you never do them again, and even if you completely screw it up and create something that's inedible, you have educated yourself. You're now an informed consumer that you can pull back the veil of all the marketing and all the advertising, and you can start to listen to yourself again about how you should eat and what food choices you should make. Yeah, I love that. And also um, the important, I, I watched one of your um, shows on uh, uh, cooking and you were talking about um, uh, potato, uh, uh, I think French fries <laughs> was one of the episodes. And I, you had a whole bunch of French fries around you and there were bags of French fries and you picked up one of the bags and, you know, you read off the ingredients and you're like, French fries are potatoes. Like what, what is all this stuff? I mean, there was just things you can't pronounce and um, just, I love that approach of just kind of maybe using your common sense and stepping back and going, you know, did our ancestors eat, you know, um, high fructose corn syrup or canola oil or, you know, red dye number four, you know, whatever it is. And when you're looking at your food and go, you know what, this probably isn't the most bioavailable nutrient dense thing I could eat right now. Is there something maybe within its proximity that I can choose that, that maybe is mm -hmm. closer to that? And we do get that complaint a lot with um, the veterans, military members, and first responders that we work with is, you know, first responders, they're they never know when their next meal is, right? It's just, you know, maybe they've got call after call after call. Um, the law enforcement personnel, they spend almost all their time in their car. You know, they don't have time to take these, you know, long lunch breaks. And then military members, 
you know, it's whatever it's available in the chow hall or you're handed an MRE, you're out in the field, right? So, um, but the modern way we live right now means that we have to make a mindful um, attempt Yep. to do the best we can in the situations that we're in, you know, and even just planning out a little bit. I worked with a guy who was out in the field for two weeks and all they get is these MREs. And of course it's all processed food. It's very carbohydrate, you know, it's just a ton of just chemicals. And, you know, these, these things are shelf stable for 10 years. Of course they're packed with chemicals. Right. So we had him pack, you know, apples, you know, things that'll, that can take a lot of wear and tear and just kind of last a long time and, you know, kind of uh, beef jerky and nuts and, you know, things that he could take with him. And he said that really saved him. He actually um, lost weight when he was out in the field. And he said, usually I'd gain weight because I'm just eating all this crap and M&Ms and all the stuff that comes in these MREs. So um, he felt so good about that. Even just, you know, yes, he was still kind of eating some of that processed food, but he made a mindful attempt to include some of those very bioavailable foods. Well, so yeah, I, I think that you touched that. Really important things there. One is that um, we need to get rid of this guilt. You know, I was I was heavy as a kid. I had an incredibly poor. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, unhealthy relationship with food, right? It was to me, food wasn't something that nourished me. It was something that made me fat, made me ugly, made other people make fun of me and actually beat me up. Uh, and I have a completely opposite view of it now, but I still have all these really unfortunate, strong feelings from when I was young. But even now we have this, this guilt that you know we carry around because we have these, in some cases, unrealistic expectations for how we should eat or um, we have the wrong expectations. So not for, so the, for the first thing is I think, uh, again, it should be situation specific. If you're out in the field and all you have is X, Y, and Z in front of you, then that is your foodscape. You know, it's, it, it's, you shouldn't even be considering that you should be eating something else when it's not an option and, ha and not have guilt about having to eat what's actually in front of you if that's your only options. So it should be guilt-free. The second thing, which is, I think, really, really important, the one we do have more choices, in situations where we have more choices about how we should be eating, we have this, and I don't know where it's come from, but anybody who, um, not anybody, most people who are trying to get healthy think that there has to be some sort of, 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 of of pain or discomfort or hunger <laughs> that goes along with eating healthy, right? If, 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 okay. if you're eating, you know, if you leave a meal and feel good, then something's wrong. Well, no, mm -hmm. it's the exact opposite. Every single meal, and I want everybody to listen to this, please. Every single meal that we eat should be satiating, should be gratifying. We should derive pleasure from it. It should be nourishing. We should get up from the table and not be hungry and also not have to open up another belt on our belt loop. We should be content because all those feelings that we have surrounding food and food is such obviously a cultural, eating is a cultural experience, but it's also um, you know, all tons of biological responses, right? That signals uh, when we're eating. They're there because they're hardwired in us to tell us we should eat this and not eat this, eat more of this, eat less of this. That's what they're there for. So it doesn't make evolutionary sense that, um, the meal that we should eat to be the healthiest is in conflict with the feelings we have surrounding, surrounding food. 
Um, now, that only works if we're in tune with our bodies and we're faced with nourishing food. But in that situation, you should feel incredible every single meal. But we've normalized feeling you know, like we need more. We've actually, we actually celebrated. If we, if we think we should, we should be losing weight, we're not doing our job unless we're hungry. And that's not the case. We can lose weight and be satiated at the same time. We can live our best life and feel gratified at every single meal. But the key is you need to be in front of nourishing food and you need to be able to really understand your signals. I love that you, you've touched upon that. I'm, thank you for, for saying that. And I say this all the time since I, I made this journey about three years ago um, and I, I switched to ketogenic um, and, mm-hmm. and then I, I kind of switch in and out of carnivore at times. And I say all the time, I can't believe I can sit down and eat all of this food because I come from the diet mentality, right? right. From struggling with my weight all my life. And now it is, it is easy and I don't have that guilt associated with eating and measuring everything and, and obsessing and counting every calorie that freed me from all of that. And it really was just me switching to eating whole, whole foods, real foods, and also just paying attention. And, and I, I love that you said that because you go out and you go into these cultures, you know, in Africa and all over the world where you know you're sitting down at these these tables or on the floor whatever they do in that culture and you it's a it's an experience right nobody's like sitting in front of a laptop and then they got their phone and somebody's talking to them they're on a video call and they're just shoveling anything in their their mouth that's our modern society and that's what we do and i think that connection back to food is also just paying attention, sitting down in front of your plate, not having distractions and paying attention to the signals that your body is sending you when you are eating certain things. And once I started doing that, I really realized the things I, my body personally, because we're all bio-individual, right? Doesn't like, and was maybe sending me those signals for years and years and years, but I just never took the time to listen. So I know like when I sit down and I have like a bunch of processed carbs, you know, on occasion, you know, I'll have a, a, just a crazy, stupid meal. And, and I feel like crap afterwards. I mean, I'm all bloated and just tired and lethargic and just, and I just feel like kind of headachey and, um, and you know, if you're taking the time to just pause and, and feel what what that food makes you feel maybe we'll also make better choices next time for ourselves see i I haven't counted a calorie in in at least over five years i haven't stepped on the scale in probably three years and i have never felt better i was a division one wrestler for ohio state i'm in better shape now than i was in the 1990s and i'm 47 years old now uh but i think you know one of the things we, we we like to as, as um, you know, modern scientific focused people, we like to, we, we feel empowered when we have, you know, a, an app that tells us how many calories are in this and, a, and you know, a calculator tells us this and follow whatever diet plans that tell us we should be counting these carbs and all these. We haven't even known what a calorie has been. For, you know, we started measuring calories uh, about 120 something years ago. 
and then you know figured out how to measure and, and quantify carbohydrates and fats and vitamins only in the past 125 years and we've never been sicker as a species we've never had to do it before and for as empowered as you feel when you're documenting how many cow remember this that none of us it's actually to me one of the most unempowering things because none of i don't care who you are you really don't know all the ins and the outs of exactly what it means that you'll know, be this kind of fat and this kind of carbohydrate and this kind of vitamin. We're not scientists. We're just humans trying to feed ourselves. So that means in order to do that, you're, you're relying on somebody else to measure that information from their food then take that information and interpret it to us. And there's a lot of power there. People that are doing that can control how we think about food and how we feed ourselves and what we buy. There's a lot of money, there's a lot of bias, there's a lot of big food manufacturing going into all of that. And that's how we get controlled how to eat. There's nobody else has control about how we feel other than us. And you know what, for eight, I'm sorry, for 300,000 years, we've done an incredibly good job at feeding ourselves. For three and a half million years, we've done such a good job that our bodies and our brains got bigger and more nourished over time. And now we're at a place where we give all that information or all that power up to somebody else and that's how the food system is controlled now i am not saying that we shouldn't keep track of what we're eating that's not what i'm suggesting and if it's a kind of thing that really gets you excited about you know how you plan your that, that's fine but what i'm suggesting is that everything that we need to feed ourselves or everything that we need to make food choices is instinctual right we have it in us again we have to be faced with real food we have to be in tune with our bodies. But the, uh, you know, one of the things that I've recently started to talk about is that most of the food conversations focuses, focus on what we eat. You know, the doctors, the nutritionists, the dietitians, the USDA, everybody's telling us, eat this, don't eat this. Eat more of this, eat less of this. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, I think that's the wrong question. What should we be eating? Those are things that we instinctually are hardwired to decide for ourselves. But it, it, all other animals have that instinct as well and they do a great job in the wild with that the the question we should be asking that not enough people are paying attention to and this is where most of my work is focused on right now is how we should be eating in other words we know that biologically we have these nutritional needs that we can't meet with what we have biologically our digestive tracts aren't suited to do it on its own so what we do as humans and we've been doing for millions of years is using technology to transform raw materials into something that our bodies can most safely and efficiently do the best work with. That's the thing, that's what we should be asking. How do you do this? How did we do this in the past? And that's the information that tribal elders and grandparents and parents and, and colleagues would pass on to one another over time from generation to generation. That's what we need to be asking other people how to do. What exactly we should be eating, we should be able to do that on our own. How we transform um, an animal into the most nourishing uh, food for our bodies, how we transform uh, dairy, how we transform grains if you're eating grains, how we do those things, those are the most important questions. And if you can understand that, then you can navigate all of those different modern foodscapes uh, to the best of your ability. Yeah, great. And so I just wanted to, um, we're getting towards the end of the time here. Of course, I could talk to you for hours about this subject because there's so many tangents we can go on, but I'm trying to stay focused. Sure. Um, so I, I want to get from you, you know, the expert, what 
maybe three things that the average Joe Schmo out there, you know, the law enforcement officer, the firefighter, the military guy could apply in their life right now that will get them, you know, many steps closer to the modern stone age diet approach that you're talking about. Just practical, maybe three practical things that they could do right now. Okay. So the first one are directly food related. And, and the third would be, uh, sort of more just about thought process and connection. So the very first thing I would say um, is to immediately get rid of all nut and seed oils completely out of, their, out of your kitchen and out of your diets in general. Uh, and if you do that, you're accomplishing so many different things. Now, when I say nut and seed oils, I mean all the vegetable oils except for potentially avocado and olive oil, which are actually fruit oils or not nut and seed mm -hmm. oils. Uh, coconut oil, I absolutely love. Um, and there's more and more research coming out about macadamia nut oil that's, that's potentially fine. Um, they, they have higher omega-3 counts, and they all give up their, 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 their fat more easily without extensive processing and heat and chemicals and things. So that's, but all of those are for cold applications only. I don't cook with any of them. All the cooking in our house, any heating, is, uh, relies upon high-quality animal fats. Butter, ghee, lard, tallow, goose fat. Um, you know, chicken fat, smalls, whatever. Mm -hmm. And those are what we, what we cook with and uh, across the board. And we eat massive amounts of fat and that, so, but we do it within that context. The other side note, you know, the other um, thing that comes with that is if you're actually reading the back of the labels of your packages and you're keeping all nut and seed oils out of your diet, then you've already eliminated most of the processed food, right, which is a great, the second piece. So number one is to get rid of all nut and seed oils and focus only on high quality animal fats, especially when cooking. The second thing, and I hope this comes out the right way, uh, is I, I really want to make sure I say this. <laughs> I haven't, I'm, I've only started talking about this recently and I haven't like figured out the exact wording around <laughs> Understand when I say this, we eat plants in our house. We eat plants almost daily. But um, one of the quotes that I've, that I've been recently putting out there uh, is that animals can hurt you or kill you when they're alive and plants can hurt you or kill you long after they're dead. Yes, that was the third quote I was going to throw out there. <laughs> well, the re reason that I say that is because, and I'll do the quick version because I know we're running out of time, but uh, you know, animals, when all the technologies we've created surrounding animals as food source in the past, are focused on overcoming their physical defense mechanisms. So uh, their speed, their strength, the ability to fly, their, 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 their teeth, their horns, antlers, claws, whatever, and allow us to hunt or trap them or catch them from a distance. And once we've killed them and can, and we have a sharp edge that we can cut into them, in front of us is the most nutrient dense bioavailable, safest food possible for humans. I mean, in fact, mm -hmm. animals, especially fat, literally in my mind built us as a species. That's great. Plants are something completely different. Plants do contain nutrition, and some of it is incredibly valuable nutrition. But the two problems with plants are that, number one, they don't move. So almost all of their defense mechanisms are from a chemical perspective, the toxins that they create. And all plants, every single plant at some level, create toxins. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is that even though these plants have incredible nutrition, they don't give it up as easily as the animal food sources do. So in both cases, it requires specific eating vegetables in the safest, most nourishing way possible 
require different approaches and technologies, food processing technologies to make them safe and to um, have them give up the nutrients they contain. Just because, remember, we have these incredibly inefficient digestive tracts. Just because we eat something doesn't mean that the nutrition it contains gets to where it needs to be in our bodies. If we, you know, it, you'd be surprised at how much of our nutrition we ex pass directly through our system on a daily basis. So um, things like, we need to first be aware that plants have toxins. Some of them are not a big deal for us. Some of them will kill us outright. Many of them will build up over time in our bodies, but they all have toxins. So uh, ways of getting around those toxins are things like eating seasonally, right? We've taken all the, the seasons out of the grocery store, but eating seasonally helps limit the overconsumption of certain toxins. Um, uh, processing strategies like fermentation are absolutely incredible. It detoxifies certain plants, it pre-digests certain plants, and is a wonderful way, you know, home vegetable fermentation is probably one of the easiest, most empowering ways to start to process food in a new way that has ancient roots but has a powerful implication on our diets. So be aware of vegetables and, and uh, consume them the right way in your diet. And again, fermentation and, and eating seasonally are two of the big ones. And the third thing, which may, bear with me, it's gonna sound crazy, but I, I wholeheartedly believe in it, is uh, become a hunter-gatherer in the real sense of a hunter-gatherer, even if it's only once or twice a year. And, and what I mean is, you know, forage at least once. And I don't care if it's you're picking blackberries on the side of the road or dandelions out of your yard or go fish or, or go hunt or collect clams, whatever it is. You know, the, we have, for the majority of the time, the vast majority of the time that we have been on this planet, we have directly acquired our food from our environment. There is something ancestral about it. There's something connected about it. There's something empowering about it. And it reminds us where our food comes from, um, the value of our human environmental relationship, all of those things, it's just amazing. Uh, so, and it doesn't matter where you are, you can do these things. Hunting may be difficult in some cases, but foraging isn't. In fact, my favorite foraging tour that I teach every year is in the middle of Washington, DC. You know, every May I teach a foraging class at the Hill Center. We actually forage all the way up to the Capitol and at the Capitol and then come back and then we cook for a couple hours. It doesn't matter where you are. And the cool thing about foraging is my, my wife doesn't like this part, but I, I, I visually forage from the road when I'm driving. So, I mean, you can even be sitting in your uh, car parked underneath a bridge in the middle of a city and see something edible popping through the concrete that you can identify, think about, maybe even go and harvest. So, um, again, it doesn't have to be every single day or even make up a significant portion of your diet. But going back to these ancestral roots and connecting with your food and your environment in such a powerful way is I, I, I think can go, can go really far in our connection with our food and reconnecting with our health. Oh, I love that. Those are fantastic tips that anybody can do right now. Even if it's just, you know, going out or taking your, some of your virtual cooking classes so Absolutely. I saw those. I'm definitely signing up. I'm so interested, especially the nose to tail one. Um, the, so uh, Dr. Bill has these virtual cooking classes on um, making sourdough bread, fermented dairy, and nose to tail. So you don't even have to live where he lives. You can actually work with Dr. Bill and, and learn these techniques that you can do just you know anywhere USA and 
get more connected with your food and get a lot more bioavailable bio-avail- food in your lives. So I'm going to put all of that stuff in the show notes, but thank you so much, Dr. Bill, for joining us on the Warrior Wellness Podcast. I learned so much and I hope our audience did too. And just check out the show notes so you can find out more about um, all of the things even just getting on his newsletter is just fantastic. (laughs) Just get on the newsletter. I learn something every single time I get it. So thank you so much. Truly my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Warrior Wellness Podcast. Go ahead and check us out on iTunes or Spotify and make sure to subscribe to our podcast and go ahead and leave us a review. And if you leave us a review, and take a screenshot of your review, send it to the email info at fireteamwhiskey.com. We will send you some Fireteam Whiskey swag as a thank you for taking the time to review the podcast.